you all know who I am. I'm Caitlin. Amanda. And Amanda Shea here. We are so excited to be um, celebrating with you our 100th episode of ESG Decoded. And we're welcoming Dustin Zimmer today. So since we're doing this live, we thought it would be useful to have a great moderator. Um, Dustin Zimmer is a marketing strategist from the Climco team, and he will be serving as our MC today. Dustin, where are you? Right here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be a part of your 100th episode. Thank you for bringing me in. I wanted to remind our audience here to take advantage of the Q&A bubble at the top of the screen. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask throughout the live webinar here to do so using that uh, Q&A option. So uh, along with that, while we're having the room fill up, I have a very special announcement that we have another host joining us here, uh, Erica Schiller. So why don't we bring her in and she can explain a little bit and her role at the company. Thanks, Dustin, and thanks, Amanda and Caitlin, for inviting me. I'm really excited to be joining as another host um, for ESG Decoded. Uh, I lead our project development organization at Climco, and what that means is we manage projects that create environmental attributes. Those could be carbon offsets. They could be other um, environmental attributes like plastic credits or compliance credits. And uh, with those, we're making you know tangible environmental impacts and um, creating that business case to further accelerate industrial decarbonization. So, uh, really excited to be here and talking about energy. My background's in energy, 10 years in the low carbon energy space, and um, and excited to bring on some different topics and um, participate in this in this cool enterprise you guys have developed. Well, I'm just so excited that you accepted our invite to join us as one of our co-hosts, and I'm so looking forward to hearing your conversations, learning from you uh, as well through this through this medium, this podcast. Yeah, and we we just really, you know, Amanda and I started this, as, as most of our long-term listeners would know, when we were um, little global affairs associates just doing ESG consulting. But now that we are part of a larger organization in Climco, we felt like it would be, um, you know, we'd be remiss if we weren't talking about a lot of the other areas of impact um, in our business. And so having Erica come on to um, be a permanent co-host um, with us allows us to really expand the types of topics that we can discuss here. Um, and all, of course, with the same um, depth and um, breadth of the of coverage that we like um, on these topics and making sure that we are going beyond the headlines. Um, as we continue to make that central to our mission of bringing this type of high quality content to the market. Um, so Erica, yay, so excited. <laughs> um, great, so I think um, maybe before we move to our Q&A, um, I just had one other question for Erica. And so um, Erica briefly explained what our project development group does at Climco. Um, but why do these um, greenhouse gas reductions and other environmental attributes that we bring to um, bring to life through your group, why does that matter for this audience? Yeah, so, you know, we've been developing um, carbon projects and um, 
we've reduced over 26 million tons of CO2E uh, from the atmosphere in the about 15 years that Climco has been operating and generating environmental attributes. Those are the actual uh, offsets that we've generated, but um, often there's activities that aren't crediting that also generate reduction. So we've made some really big impacts to the climate. So I'm really proud of the work that our team has been doing over that period. Um, and I think it's important because, you know, as we think about ESG, a lot of the, I know you guys talk about the S and the G, but the E, the environmental, um, the environmental impact, right? Um, when we think about how do we how do we adapt to climate change? How do we reduce the impacts? How do we slow climate change? Um, we are looking, we're using this market-based mechanism of carbon offsets and compliance offsets to, to make real impacts to the environment, to create incentives for um, industrials to reduce their emissions. And, and often they, they need that market mechanism. They're, they're operating in competitive landscapes. They need um, to stay competitive in order to sell their products. So when there's that um, market-based mechanism that creates an incentive to reduce that you know, kind of benefits everyone. It benefits our climate. It benefits the the businesses that are reducing, and it also sets a standard for other businesses to see those opportunities and continue to accelerate the energy transition. Because that's the goal. Thank you so much for that, Erica. Um, a lot of you pre-submitted questions, mm -hmm. which we were really grateful for. Um, so I think we're going to go through those. And if you've um, submitted any to the, to the chat as well, um, our marketing team will be going through those as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I'm going to ask the first question here, but I also want to remind everyone and, and anyone listening, if you have a question, please submit it in the Q&A bubble at the top of the screen. Uh, first question comes from Cynthia, New York, which is, what is the biggest barrier that brands face internally to allocate sustainability funding? So, you know, I think for for us, um, often sustainability or ESG or decarbonization efforts um, come to a company through a team that's focused on that, um, on those topics, and can sort of be seen as bucketed in this voluntary space. So, voluntary reporting, um, you know, voluntary action. And um, we've had a lot of success with helping tell that story in the language of risk and opportunity. And so making sure that that we're not just talking about how great we're what we're doing is for the environment or for communities, but really coming in and helping the client, the brand, the company to really understand that th this is about risk mitigation um, as well as um, capitalizing on opportunities that are presented by a changing marketplace. And I think at a very high level, those two pieces have, um, at least in our experience, have helped move the needle on those internal funding conversations. Um, Amanda, I, I see you both are nodding, so I'll, I'll stop there. I think I was going to go something along the same threads as you were going to answer, as you answered, Caitlin, where I think it's connecting it to the business and seeing that it's not just a philanthropy or a, something like that, but it really is connected to the business, understanding those 
big macro trends that are happening around the globe and really capturing those opportunities as appropriate to your company. I think if we can get that initial buy-in and understanding, then it goes from there, right? Then, of course, there's different, you know, um, I think, challenges um, to work through, just like any other kind of new initiative, let's say, in an organization. But getting that initial buy-in, I think, is so critical by really connecting it to the business. And I feel like nowadays, if it's not your investors, it's going to be your clients or your employees who are requesting something around ESG. Erica, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, one of the ways that you could turn this into an opportunity is what are those new revenue generating sources, right? Is are, is there new demand for low carbon fuels? Is there demand for low carbon products? And could that give you a competitive advantage in the marketplace? So, Caitlin, I think when you were talking about opportunities, that absolutely um, rings true to me. And, you know, we've also been in the project development space doing offset projects that, you know, is a new revenue source for a business. So that can, you know, drive investment and um and and drive change in the organization because it, it's a great opportunity to to create more value. Dustin, what's the next question for us? The next question comes from David in Massachusetts and he asks what is the best way to motivate corporations to invest in sustainable solutions? I think there was more on that one. Yeah, should we wait for uh, should we wait for heavy fines from regulators to scare corporations into investing or um, should the consumer trends take over? So uh, to me, this is a question about um, regulatory trends, right? So it's I'm hearing, you know, what is motivating corporations? Regulation, voluntary, say, consumer driven pressure, employee driven you know, investor driven. Um, and I really think it's all of the above. I don't think it's like a one, you know, where's the source of pressure that's the strongest. It's all it's all there um, in from almost all sides. Um, and so I think with regard to trends, regulatory trends, whether or not um, the actual regulation comes to pass as in its original form, and we can look at the SEC climate disclo disclosure rule as an example, right, where the initial proposal is quite extensive and quite, um, I'll just say quite extensive, and then the process of gathering comments, the process of the sort of public comment periods and, of course, internal discussions about these things, it will probably end up with a, a much uh, much changed rule from the initial proposal. But that entire process um, is has been enough for companies to really say, wow, this is incredibly important um, if it's being taken up by the SEC and we want to get ahead of it, right? So um, I think it's not just you know, the final piece of regulation. I think it's all of the process in years um, working towards that and also mitigating the risks of those changes um, that is that has um, really driven a lot of the current action that we see. Erica, did you have something you wanted to add? I saw nodding, I thought. Um, yeah. Well, I was I was agreeing with you, but I also think, you know, 
some some folks can get frustrated waiting for government action, right? And so that's where you know activist investors came in to try and um, to try and move things forward. BlackRock was a big example of that. Um, and you know, it, consumers are also you know giving those flags, but um, but you know the regulatory piece is is an important tool, right? There's always the carrot and the stick, right? And the, and I think in the U.S. there's a lot of carrots out there with the Inflation Reduction Act, um, creating a lot of incentives for reduction, and then there's sticks around you know the EPA proposing new regulations, SEC being one of those sticks as well. Amanda, anything to add, or do we want to flip it back to Dustin? Let's flip it back to Dustin. I think you did both a really great job of covering and kind of I'm just echoing and agreeing. I just only echo and agree with your sentiments. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, the next question comes from Elliot in Texas, who asks, there have been several significant macroeconomic events in the last two years, from the COVID-19 pandemic to war in Ukraine and rumors of recession. Have you perceived a change in client demands or expectations over this period? And do you see any trends for the near future? I see um, global risk coming more tangible than ever before, especially coming out of the pandemic and also with the invasion of Ukraine. I've also heard the conversation about energy security, um, not only in light of that war, but also because of um, different events in California and Texas that have caused the grid coat go out. So I'm hearing those change the conversation or perhaps bring up topics that we thought that we had solved already um, back up. So I think that's been an interesting change. And I would say that, um, you know, changing client demands or expectations, I think, um, Broadly speaking, when it comes to climate action, there's uh, no fundamental change in direction. I mean, that is still the direction everyone is headed. Now, while some companies maybe are, say, putting off a big chunk of of a scope of work, right? Like, well, let's do these pieces, but maybe we'll save this one to next year where we thought we were going to do it all all at once, right? There might be some certain cost saving or spreading of costs related to these actions, but there's no like, oh, we're not going to do this anymore. So it's, it's I, I would say it's still fundamentally um, happening. We see no evidence that that's changing, um, but there's certainly um, perhaps with more the macroeconomic and recession um, you know, fears than anything else, perhaps more cost savings or cost consciousness around um, the work, but certainly not the fundamental trend. Something else that I'll add to is I think it also brought our supply chains into focus, the risks that we face in our supply chains, not only supplying, but also thinking about how will we build out this energy transition and um, whether it's a global risk because of um, different political um, things happening or where we're sourcing um, critical materials from. It's, mm -hmm. I think, an interesting um, refocus on understanding how global our supply chains are and what risk and opportunities always um, could be presented with that along with connected with the energy transition or the transition to a low carbon economy. Okay, back to you, Dustin. Yeah, perfect. Um, next question comes from Preeti in New York City, who asks, what's the most challenging part about being a podcast host? Which one 
podcast guest or episode caused a 180 degree shift in your perspective about the work that we do? Well, I can I can answer what's most challenging, um, and that's that after joining Climco, the marketing team made us do video. <laughs> so now we have to, um, you know, make sure our hair is brushed before we record. <laughs> I I agree. <laughs> no, I would say that I thoroughly enjoy this. I love having conversations. I'm I'm a curious person. I love learning. And so every opportunity, every conversation with a guest is an opportunity for me to learn and also, you know, then, you know, and share um, with other folks what I've learned, what I'm curious about. So yeah, I love it. <laughs> I think the other follow-up part of that question was, was there any guests that made you change your thinking a lot? Um, I forget how exactly it was phrased. And I would say that for me, there wasn't, it I wouldn't say anything like 180 degree thinking, perhaps because I've been in sustainability for a long time. I, I'm curious, I like to read, I like to keep up with stuff as well. But a lot of them have expanded my thinking. So I like that. Yeah, and I, um, I'm not only saying this because Greg is here today on the webinar, but Greg Watson was the first person that inspired this whole paradigm shift series concept where we're really looking at how fundamentals in financial markets are really have driven the ESG trend. And so for me, that who did not come from finance, for me, those were um, both Greg's and Rick Alexander's episode. And we have another one coming out with Dr. Raj Gopal from um from Columbia University, those ones that really dig deep into the the fundamentals of why and how ESG is as a trend in, say, financial reporting and in capital markets is really a response to the inadequacy of traditional reporting, of traditional company valuation models um, of you know, you know, Rick's talked about modern portfolio theory and how, um, and I actually have to look back at my note. I took a note for this because I still am wrapping my head around it, but how um, corporations are incentivized to externalize costs, which um, those costs are then borne by diversified portfolio investors. So that was another moment where it was just my head exploded because I was like, wow, I've never thought of it in that way. So for me, those episodes where it's an area that, um, I don't have a strong background in that I really have gotten so much of, of um, out of those conversations. Um, and um, I'm really just grateful to all of our guests who say yes, because we get to learn from all of them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to having those experiences and learning from different different guests. And, and I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast um, over the last year. Yeah, every week is a new adventure, right? <laughs> uh, we have another question here, which is, uh, which episode stands out as one that you learned from the most? How has the ESG space evolved from episode one to 100? And do you have any funny mishap moments from your time recording? Um, well, I would say, um, how has ESG evolved from episode one, which I believe was um January 2021 or 2020 I can't remember 21 um to episode 100 so I kind of it's 
it's kind of sad but true, but you could joke that nothing of value is really, really real until it's become a political football. <laughs> and, um, you know, ESG achieved that status um, for better or for worse late last year. And so it's kind of interesting that when we started this, when there was such a dearth of content, there's just nothing good online about ESG when we started this 100 episodes ago. And we were really trying to fill that gap with some of these um, thoughtful conversations about this somewhat obscure topic. Um, and then, you know, in this very short year and a half, um, it's become this, you know, a political fire storm and everyone's confused about what it means. And I keep telling people to go back to our original What is ESG episode, you know. Um, so I think that's a really interesting development um, that just solidifies how valuable and important the conversation is, frankly. Dustin, Do well, you were, well, there's, there's three parts of that question, and I wanted sure. to answer one of the, but I already forgot exactly. <laughs> you go back is there the, an episode that stands out for the mm -hmm. one that you learned the most from? And there was another part of that question, too. Do you have <laughs> any um, funny mishap moments or bloopers or Oh, well, the good thing with the podcast, it's not live. So we get to edit all this stuff out. But there's a ton of times where I've just, just like that, forgotten what I was talking about or forgotten <laughs> the question. But you wouldn't know because it gets edited out in the end. <laughs> I will say that when we were in Oklahoma City recording the episode with Mark Behrman, who's the CEO of LSB Industries, and our CEO, Bill Flutterbach, was there because they've known each other um, for a long time. Um, LSB, for, if anyone who hasn't listened to that episode, was Kleinco's very first um, offset developer client, so many, many years ago um, for nitrous oxide abatement um, in Baytown, Texas, actually, and that is, I believe, still operating. Um, so we were out in Oklahoma and at this studio, but it was one of those situations where you get there and you're like, this, is this it? Am I in the right place? You know, and then no one was there, you know, and then, um, once we finally got in, um, it was um, it was just funny because they the the crew that was filming um, was very they were clearly, you know, high attention to detail because every little sound from outside like a garbage truck would pass and they would st make a stop they'd be like no stop we have to stop so that was and, and you know a plane goes overhead a garbage truck a siren and they made us stop every time <laughs> so that episode was incredibly long to to actually get through and finish um but i, I mean i think the product in the end was worth it but that was definitely um one of those funny situations where we kept looking at each other like, oh my God, we're never going to finish this. No one ever knows what gets left on the cutting room floor. So that, that helps. Um, we're, we're running out of time here. So I want to do yep. thank everyone for joining us today um, thank you so to celebrate much. the 100th episode and welcome Erica again to the team. Thank you. For our future ESG Decoded podcast episodes. I'm going to put in the chat here a link to the Climco page that shows everywhere you can find the podcast, of course, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and everywhere and anywhere that you can watch it at your own convenience so you, you don't have to be at, at the live webinar. But if you do enjoy the live format, 
Um, let us know in the chat or Q&A if you'd like to see us do this again. You can submit any questions ahead of time and um, we'll be sure to answer them um, at, when we can. And uh, make sure to follow our social channels on at, at ESG Decoded on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So just thank everybody for joining us, attending today. And then of course, our great hosts, Erica, Caitlin, and Amanda for putting this on. So we are going to record this and release this as a regular episode and um, we will see you then. So thank you everybody for participating and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks great. everyone. Thank you.